Hello, and welcome to the Fisher Poetry Podcast, a showcase of prose, poetry, and song written and performed by those in the commercial fishing community. Mostly. I'm your host, Brad. Thanks for joining us today. Today's episode is from the 2023 Fisher Poetry Gathering in Astoria, Oregon, where you'll hear from Fisher poet Max Broderick of Cannon Beach, Oregon, and MC Elma Burnham. Max's performance was recorded at the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon on Friday, February 24th, 2023. So, without further ado, here's Max. For the 7 o'clock hour, kicking us off is my good friend, Max Broderick. So happy to have him here. Max is a Bristol Bay set netter and a Cannon Beach local. And um, please join me in welcoming him to the stage. All right, everybody. Uh, Fisher Poets is here again. What do you know? I wrote a little poem this morning. I'm a bit of a procrastinator. Uh, but I think I'm going to start with something you may have heard if you've seen me before. Um, as Elmo mentioned, I'm a gill netter on, in Bristol Bay on the Nishigak River. I've been doing that with my family now for, I don't know how long, 20-something years. <clears throat> my dad's been doing it for a really long time. And, uh, you know, he's got a few years left, hopefully. Um, and uh, this first poem I'm going to read is called, it doesn't have a title really, it's just kind of contrasting uh, views. <clears throat> Gobs of fish that sink the nets so that cork lines no longer float, fathoms and shackles of web and gear empty as they roll into the boat, easy going holdovers from eight foot low to 13 high. Minus fours that fill in quick to 24-foot tides. Fish that lie in a bag, ready to be rolled out with ease. Tangled messes of fish you pull and pick and tease. Single gilled fish, lively, easily released from nylon web. Fish bound up, twisted, toothed, rigor mortis, dead. Nicely hauled in and picked nets, picked nets ready for what's next. Round-hauled piles of fish and web, a sticky, slimy mess. Evenings staying on top of fish and running the gear just so. Evenings getting asses kicked in rainy, windy blows. Anchors that trip as meant when given a solid tug. Anchors that won't budge no matter. They've done their job and they've dug. Hauls so dandy that the boat will barely float. Hauls so skinny there's no reason for the totes. Routine 14-hour shifts that turn into 53. Off-time lazy games of crib, naps, and cups of tea. 10-minute boat naps while making a delivery. 18-hour zombie sleeps that feel heavenly. Fresh Alaska air that fills the lungs and heart. Damp and soggy, sleeping, cold cabin farts. <laughs> Belugas, bear, ducks, beaver porcupines, and meese, hydraulic oil, aluminum shavings, lower unit grease. Easy engine fixes, spark plugs, chase the wires, harder ones, lower units, engine fires. No fish openers in raging tides and wind 30 knots, open in calm and sun, catching lots and lots. 
eagles soaring above the head, twilight in the sky, seagulls sitting on your nets, pecking out the eyes. Good seasons, well worth time and effort, down payment on a house, poor ones too, looking around for a discount blouse. New, dry, warm, and sterile 620 gloves that fingers slip right in. Swollen digits squeezed into wet, cold gloves worn in. Perfect layer management, a consistently pleasant core temp. Sweltering heat or freezing cold, layer management unkempt. Sets that hold and hold no matter the strain that they are in. Sets that pull before you've got your outside anchors in. Nets that light up the water a boiling stew of fish. Nets that soak the floods and ebbs and sift and sift and sift. Hot markets, fish worth at least a buck sixty a pound. This year, 48 cents because markets are really down. Sunrises warm and welcome after a long, cold night that lingered. Sunrises full of fog and cold that numb and don't thaw out the fingers. Greenhorn dandy fishermen as eager as they get. Seasoned salty crew and captains, real life fisher vets. Chipper rested crews working hard and efficient. Long shifts tired working like dementia patients. Placid peaceful waters, not a breath of wind in the air. Winds that whip the, blow, winds that whip the waves and blow the cap up of your hair. Neutral, la neutral smelling layers of clothes you haven't yet worn. Tattered, putrid, long underwear, not yet not washed and forlorn. Letters, or even better, a package from back home, or nothing in the mail for weeks, feeling all alone. New faces from visitors down south for a week or two. The same two guys every day, the two that are your crew. Captains screaming and barking orders all the time. Captains thoughtful, ask you to kindly pull the lines. Nets that lie on the beach in figure eights, ready for an opening bell. Tangled, twisted masses of line, living balls of hell. Warm cabins, homemade bread, and heaping plates of rice and beans. Boat snacks, peanut bars, applesauce, canned peaches, and sunflower seeds. Warm bunks, damp bags, sleeping long and hard. Wet naps on top of a fish tote after eating a soggy candy bar. Candy bars and V8 juice while you chum around with your mates. Sneaky, stinky outhouse trips to hide and masturbate. 30 and 40 year captains who've yet to pass the baton to crew and mate and offspring ready to take it on. High tide lulls, campfires and salmon on a stick. Gobs of fish up on the beach because the tide fell too quick. Woeful, monotonous, dispirited, suffering and pains Bright and sunny, joyous, smiling, grinning gains. End of season gatherings, whiskey, music, and cheer, or end of season scrambles to stow away the gear. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, so. Uh, I'm just gonna read, this is just kind of like an essay uh, about sport fishing, um, and I'll just jump right into it. Um, I used to think that sport fishermen were cute. Silly sport guys with their tackle vests, 
on and their colorful tackle and their rods excited about going fishing. Using sporty jargon, jargon like how's the color today? Or any bites this morning? Or what color bead did you get her on? Mottled pink or crimson chartreuse? Always talking about river levels, how she's gonna blow but should drop into shape next week. How funny, I thought, to fish for sport, to spend hours, days, weeks, chasing an elusive fish, which I've killed thousands of in a day. And the gear needed, different types of terminal tackle, sizes and profiles of hooks, leader tests, yarnies, beads, jigs, flashers, eggs, bobber, and associated bobber stoppers, flashers, level wind reels, trolling reels, spinning reels, cute. I'll slap my gill net out and catch dinner for a few hundred families in a few minutes. I'd tried sport fishing a few times as a kid. The most memorable experience was when I was about seven years old, and while fishing for trout, my brother hooked a native coho from Ecola Creek that was the size of me at the time. <clears throat> he somehow teased it to shore where I grabbed it and gave it a big bear hug trying to wrestle it to the top of the bank. It made a tremendous movement and slipped from my hug, snapped the line, wriggled to, into the water, and swam off. Fun. It wasn't until years later that I found myself exploring sport fishing with my best buddy trolling on the Columbia River. I was fresh from Alaska and didn't have any particular interest in spending a day trying to catch another salmon, but I got the invite and had little else to do that day. I also didn't have many expectations. I still thought it was a little silly and almost felt I was betraying some deep down belief I had buried within myself about fishing for sport as a commercial guy. We placed our lines in the water, flashers, weights, cut plug herring and dropped to the bottom. An hour later, I found my hands shaking so hard from excitement and exhilaration and loss that I wasn't able to rebate my hooks. My buddy laughed his ass off at me and said that seeing a Bristol Bay gillnetter trembling like a baby over one lost Chinook was about the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life. I had hooked a fish, fought it, and lost. It was amazing. I was hooked. Now I find myself obsessed with beads, every little variation of which might help me hook a steelhead on the river, the perfect brine for herring or cure for salmon eggs. I monitor river levels and anticipate tide changes. I spend weekends, mornings, holidays, lunches on the river chasing a tug on my fishing rod. How did I become a cute little sport guy? <laughs> I went fishing. Okay, this is the new one from today. Um, ode to set netters, I guess. <clears throat> Out on the water, early morn, set netters brave the winds and storm. Their nets they set with hopeful hearts, hoping a bountiful catch will impart. But with each passing day, their toil is met with disappointment and turmoil. Fish are scarce, nets are empty, their hopes dash, their hopes dashed of catching fish aplenty. The weather turns, the wind grows stronger, their nets are battered for days and longer. The rain pours down, the waves they rise, set netters face these conditions with tired eyes. Their hands are blistered, their backs are sore, their spirits dampen, 
they hope for more. But still they persevere day in, day out, their commitment to the task they cannot doubt. Although the struggle may seem too great, they stay on the gear, they know their fate. Their livelihoods depend on what they haul, so they keep plugging through the squall. Through sun and rain, through calm and storm, they brave the elements in form. They know one day the fishing will turn, they'll reap rewards they've duly earned. So here's to gill netters, brave and strong, may their nets be full as their journey goes on. May they always find the strength to carry on, and may their efforts be rewarded once and for all. Okay, um, let's see, I've got another poem here, and it looks like, looks like it's one about my dad. Let's see if I have all the pages here, let me just make sure I don't stop in the middle of it, uh oh, here we go. We're going to switch gears. Actually, <clears throat> uh, one of the next performers who's coming up here mentioned to me something about his first year up there doing uh, the mud walk. And he said he lost his waders while he was walking through the mud, uh, which makes sense because I've seen it a dozen times. First year, people, you know, they don't expect the mud's going to be so sticky and sloppy and their boots aren't on tight enough and their boots come off and it pulls your waders, you know, your foot's where your knee's supposed to be, and all of a sudden you're laying down in the mud. This is a little poem about the mud walk. A mud walk is tough for an average Joe with no experience to lead with the toe. If steps are taken with the heel, you'll have to dig through mud to feel for your boot hidden in mud concealed by timeless amounts of slop and silt over eons these mud flats were built by sucking and raging and roaring tides where deserts and acres of mud abide. I've seen them fall and crawl all over the place, boots left behind in anger and disgrace. The Greenhorn Mudwalk is a sight spectacular. If seen from afar on the beach, one grabs his binoculars. To watch a fellow wallow and swear, somehow there's mud through waders to underwear. A sight to see every season is greenies cursing, cussing, and screaming. So strap those laces and boots on stiff, or they will be lost trekking to the skiff. Once more, though I told you before, don't lead with the heel, but rather the toe. <clears throat> All right, I think I have time for one more here. Uh, this one's about canneries getting plugged. It means they, the fleas brought in too many fish, and they put you on limits, and it can be really frustrating as a fisherman. Sometimes you can't catch a couple of fish, sometimes you catch too much. You either can't pay the bills or the cannery is plugged. You might get paid a buck and a half or maybe 50 cents to pull gear and pick fish and pay your mortgage or rent. You might have a monumental haul and then be told the cannery is full. And in the pissing rain with fish, your nets you'll have to pull. And grumble on your way to the tender that you could have caught much more if the cannery could keep up with all the fish you brought ashore. On your way to the tender, still grumbling a bit about all those fish that were running and now are being missed, comes an announcement on the VHF radio. 
The cannery is no longer plugged. Back to your sites you go. Due to the volume of harvest the fishermen are bringing in, the canneries put you on limits per vessel, per vessel, my friend. You grumble to your mates about the inconvenience of having to pull your gear when fishing with such a buzz. And tired and sick of not knowing what price you're fishing for and getting pounded by southeasterlies on the shore. But as soon as you catch your limit, you know that you'll head on in. So you stop complaining about the unfortunate and you set your nets again. Pulling and picking your nets clean and plowing to the tender was a pain in the ass. And by the time you get them back in the water, the smoking hot fishing has passed. There's still a relatively steady trickle of fish until just high slack. Then boom, the fish train's there and you're trying to get your nets back from out of the churning water because if you catch too many, you charitably donate fish to the company that's paying you pennies per pound for wild Alaskan sockeye sustainably harvested from Bristol Bay by fishers like you and me who are grinding for our pay. We pull the nets while they light up as we think we are past our allotted limit. Knowing there's only a few pushes like this, you, we grumble, God damn it, to know that we are letting by a large portion of the Salmon Peak and have nowhere to sell our fish during the salmon run streak. Our method of not going over our limit, our method of prevention, is not born of efficiency, not one of pure invention. We horse the net in as quick as we can, all in an unorganized pile, and going back through to get the fish out takes a good while. So you sit on the pick, sifting through tangles of fish with a bit of a hole in your chest, because under your keel are swarms of fish and you're sitting on top of your nets. But woe is us as we head once again toward the tender while cleaning our gear. With a boatload of fish, shackles, line, and anchors, halfway to the tender we hear, a crackle on the radio. Could it be Channel 80, the cannery, our masters? Our limits increase once again, 500 pounds per permit. Hooray, those bastards. A whimper of exasperation or desperation creeps out of one of us. So we turn around, plow to that muddy spot where we'll sift this evening's flood. And though we really appreciate the attempt by our buyer to allow us to catch what we can within their capacity, we're mired. We pulled our nets twice already during a really strong push, and now we need to set them again on the muddy banks of the Nush to reach our wavering and apparently unattainable limit of fish when it's thick, they're plugged, and we're in it. That was Max Roderick recorded at the Liberty Theater in Astoria, Oregon on Friday, February 24th, 2023. Well, that's it. This one's in the tote. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is written and produced by Brad Wartman. The theme music for this episode is courtesy of Mark Allen Lovewell and Molly Canole. If you'd like to appear on or have comments about the show, please send an email to thefisherpoetryarchive at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to haul the latest episodes into your net. The Fisher Poetry Podcast is available via our podcast host, Spotify, as well as Apple, Google, and Amazon. You can listen to our other podcast episodes, watch our YouTube videos, and join our community by going to thefisherpoetryarchive.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Come all young sailormen, listen to me I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea 
Blow ye winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southern, so steady she goes. 